0: to Sparkler podcast number 26. Uh, I'm Rebecca Scoble, our audio person. I'm Leanne Centaur. I'm managing editor and prose editor. And today we're rec- coming to you from Tokyo, actually. So please forgive our kind of iffy sound quality. <laughs> but um, we're in Tokyo, so we didn't bring the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about crowdfunding, and specifically Kickstarters, because we've done a lot of them. And we have one running right now.
1: Um, when this podcast comes out, uh, the Tokyo Demons Complete Series Kickstarter is running.
0: It's the 8th?
1: I think it's the 8th that we've run.
0: And our very first Kickstarter was for Tokyo Demons Book 1, even before Sparkler existed. Book two, actually. But, yes. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> it was back when Book 1 had just sort of come out, and we were trying to uh, get Book 2 together. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels kind of full circle at this point even though we're probably doing a million more kickstarters. Yeah, no there will be more. Yeah. There's also more Tokyo Demons because that series doesn't end. Yeah. But uh but it felt like a good time to talk about Kickstarter
1: cuz I think that we've we've spoken about it in the past um but not really at length and obviously uh, it, it's something that a lot of our readers are interested in a lot of the creators who follow us are interested in kind of how to utilize it and of course it's not the only crowdfunding that software that you can use there's like indiegogo and um
0: there are a couple other ones that i don't follow that many mm-hmm. other than indiegogo i've yeah. definitely bought stuff off that i mean even like patreon kind of counts as something a little bit yeah a, a that's type of, true yeah we don't really use them because they're basically a subscription service and we have our own subscriptions but uh yeah you know same kind of idea where you're, you're sort of pull, pulling in all your fans. And
1: and in the case of Kickstarter, like at this point, um, I worked for Hiveworks this past year and I, I worked on a number of Kickstarters with them as well. And um, so at this point, I do feel a lot more qualified to talk about <laughs> Kickstarter than maybe some of our earlier podcasts. But um, the basics for anybody who somehow doesn't know what it is, it's a platform online where you can set up a project and it's sort of a in theory like a wish list project something that you you want to do but you need funds in order to start it um and you list out uh if people will basically pledge a certain amount of money to your project you will give them a reward um and in some cases it's very simple it's like hey i want to do a paperback if you pledge 20 dollars to this kickstarter then when the paperback is ready i will send it to you Mm -hmm. um and it was made in general for kind of artistic projects originally Mm -hmm. anyway Uh, or
0: like inventions
1: and yeah musicians who needed to do albums but needed money for studio space because a lot of uh, cash flow problem is a real issue in um indie projects and and uh, independent projects and stuff because it's like well i know i could sell this when i'm done but i don't have the cash on hand to pay for the production of it in the case of kickstarter if you don't make your goals you set a goal saying like oh i need such and such thousand dollars and if you don't reach it, then nobody's credit card gets charged. It basically fails. So everybody who said, I'll pledge this amount of money, they don't actually get charged at the end. Because the assumption is if you didn't make your goal, then you can't make the item and therefore you can't fulfill the pledges. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: Which as much as it really sucks to fail is also kind of good because, uh, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, what if you only made 25% of what you need and now you're on the hook to produce all these books
1: for those people? <laughs> And there, if you use IndieGoGo or some of the other uh, crowdfunding, they do have options. They have like flexible funding. Which yeah, like is, it kind of re- it depends on the the project, you know. Right. What some works. of them, you you, if you don't reach the goal, you can still get the amount of money that you had. If it's something where it's like, well, I don't need that goal to make it happen, but I'm trying to pre-sell stuff to help my cash flow issue, things like that. In the case of uh, Sparkler and a lot of other web comics and, and small publishers and stuff, we use it a little bit like a pre-order system, but in you know oftentimes because we either don't have that cash or it's not a really good uh, use of cash to put towards an, a particular item that isn't our primary sales, I would say like sparkler is primarily a digital publisher uh we do books kind of as a supplementary thing like we like to go to print but it was never a core part of our business and in fact there was a year where we said okay let's not kickstart print let's just put all our books in paperback you know we have the money let's do that and it just didn't go very well it took a lot of cash and (laughs) it didn't people didn't know when the books came out Mm. Um, because Kickstarter is also a very effective marketing tool so uh While we At the beginning, we thought, okay, Kickstarter is so much work, I don't know if I want to tie it to every print run that we do, that's so much extra time and effort. Eventually, we were like, no, doing it the way without the Kickstarter, at least in our case, wasn't super effective Mm -hmm. because Kickstarter got the word out. Kickstarter had a very easy way for people to order things. A lot of people already have a Kickstarter account that's just like, oh, I can charge, and they, they trust it, they think it's safe. You know, you never know if people don't want to put your credit card in the Sparkler site despite our, you know, encryption and stuff. We are an indie press. We're not like Kickstarter. Some people Mm. are like, well, I know Kickstarter is probably not going to have common data breaches and stuff. You know, just there are a lot of reasons why somebody might trust Kickstarter more or like Kickstarter or find it more convenient than ordering directly from us. So there were a lot of reasons why we did that. Plus, when you do a Kickstarter, you get to do... Fun fundraiser <laughs> things, So it's like yeah. crazy items. Um, you can do stretch goals. You can do all kinds of uh, like things that might not be cost effective on their own, but if they're bundled in with the overall goal that you're making, then you you, you don't have to justify it to the budget.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you but, justify it to the Kickstarter budget. Yes. And that's like yeah. it. Yeah, because it, sometimes it's hard to... Sometimes
1: it's hard for us to get, I'm um, going to say justification for to print up some of the items that we want to okay, do. Okay,
0: it's hard to justify doing keychains for yeah, most things. Yeah, stuff like that. We always really want to do keychains, yeah. to, you know, because it's like, there's some beautiful piece of chibi art or whatever, and... Uh, you know. Yeah, we we but we personally want it on our
1: bags, but it's hard to find. I mean,
0: yeah, as, as reasoning
1: within the sparkler budget to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's always okay as sparkler editors. there is always the pull between the thing that is smart to do in terms of money and the thing we really want to do because it's cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, so Kickstarter is really great in that it allows us both to have that. Ca- you know, because I mean, part of the thing is a print run. Particularly like an offset print run, if you're not doing something print on demand, it's just it's a big chunk of money that it's yeah. hard for small guys to just have, mm-hmm. you know. Or even if we do again, like like Leanne was saying, like if we sometimes we do technically have the money, but that's kind of earmarked for creator payments in the next couple of months. And if we don't, we don't know, you know. Like like a, a print run's kind of an uncertain investment because yeah. you don't know how fast you're going to sell everything. You don't know where you're going to have the opportunity to turn those books back into money. and You don't always know how, well, the size of the audience. That's another thing that Kickstarter is very good at gauging,
1: kind of, the size of the audience, uh, in some ways the location of the audience, and <laughs> also their willingness to buy it. Those are all things that you can guess from Google Analytics and stuff. Like There are ways that you can analyze these the demographics, but Kickstarter is a very good, very direct way to look at all those things. Kickstarter is a good way to test a lot of things about the demographics and, quite frankly, kind of test them.
0: Be like, will mm. you will you, will you put your money where your mouth is? You said you want a book, will you buy it? <laughs> yeah, because obviously, like, if you put a poll up, do you want to buy the book? Everyone's like, of course I want to buy the book. And then when you're like, the book is, you know, 1995, Yeah, they're like, oh, you know, rent. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know it, it's true that like demographics of certain series run older or younger, and younger people are less likely to have money to mm-hmm. burn. You know, it's just it's a lot a lot of factors that you can't really figure out. Mm-hmm. And then Kickstarter
1: itself has people who just, you know, like there are algorithms in there where if people pledge to a certain item, then other items that are similar pop up to them, or people who just go through discovery or they just look at something that's popular. So you end up getting a little bit of the general Kickstarter audience as well which can help with pre-sales to, again, fund something that you want to have, what you want to have, but maybe the money is not really earmarked for that. And then, you know, it's it's marketing. People understand it. They see the goal. Mm-hmm. They see the the, the the percentage mark going up. And mm-hmm. and it's true that, like, you know, if we can't raise that money, then we probably shouldn't be doing the print run
0: anyway. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. It's a bit depressing No, I know. But... So, so, you know, that, that whole bottom line thing is just, like, if you can't get a certain level of interest a certain level of funding, it's like you just can't really do the project and that's
1: that's it really comes home in print because print is something where now you have a physical item that needs to be stored that needs to be shipped that <laughs> needs to be distributed, and it it adds a level of complication to a business if you are not a if you're not designed around being a print publisher, which we are not so. We It was a little rough in the beginning. Again, I thought it was too much work. Now I see Kickstarter in my sleep. I've done so many of them. <laughs> I think between Sparkler and Hive, I've either run or
0: consulted on like 15 or something now. So it's like, <laughs> now I can do them. Yeah, Piece cake. <laughs> like, you, you know, well, we both know how to not overpromise things. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny because Leanne and I uh, set up this last Kickstarter. We went to, like, Chili's, I think, mm-hmm. and just sat there and wrote on the back of a receipt what all of the tiers would be. Because, you know... we like, did it in, like, three days. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, I'm the shipping person, so I'm always... So, you know, Land's like, let's do, you know, eight, 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 like, eight and a half by 11 prints. And I'm like, no, poster tubes, no. <laughs> and she's like, let's just, you know, like, uh, like keychains and add them to one of the digital tiers. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Mm, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I-, I guess it's like if we're actually giving advice about this, uh, my biggest piece of advice is do a lot of research about shipping. Shipping things overseas is massively expensive, and it's unfair to those guys. It sucks. And, you know, you always get a couple people being all like, why does it cost as much to ship it to me? As the book itself, or sometimes like $10 more, mm. it's like, well, I don't know, talk to the United States Postal Service. <laughs> Sorry. You know. It's fair. I, I understand. Oh, yeah. I totally understand the frustration. Yeah. But at the same time, there's just not really anything we can do about it, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. The, I, th- I mean, I've read a lot of those kind of like, what the first thing to know about your Kickstarter? I agree that shipping, do your research, and actually find out how much it ships and, and charge that um, don't get tricky with the Kickstarter, uh, the, with the Kickstarter trip shipping until you've been doing it a while. Cause I, I have certain patterns that I use to try to reduce, uh, you know, shipping in some ways, but do not do that until you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, find out what it costs and actually charge that, including, you know, you got to buy an envelope, you got to buy packing tape. Um, you might have to be paying somebody for their time to ship it out, depending on, you know, how you're doing it. Uh, it's something that we learned very the hard lesson, of course, the first Kickstarter we did with Tokyo Demons book two is be careful about the stretch goals. Mm-hmm. We definitely overstretched.
0: There were a couple that we still have not been able to fulfill and it's like four four yeah, years we'll, later. You know, we overpromised. We're like, yeah, we'll mm-hmm. just do like nine games. That's something yeah. that we have time well, for. Well, it was
1: also we built it around what the production uh schedule that we were on at the time, which was way faster. And then we basically moved <laughs> and the community that we were in that was helping us do all the projects we were now in another country from. So stuff that had been very easy before, such as well, comparatively easy things like recording audio, now <laughs> were very difficult because we'd have to go over a border to go do it. Yeah, don't um, don't tell me that uh, putting that audio together was easy because it certainly was. Well, no, but I mean, like <laughs> it's like if somebody had to redo, a, you know, reshoot something, it's like okay, can you come over before dinner on Thursday? You know, as opposed to we have to plan a trip over a border to go re-record this in person and. You know, it, the logistics got very difficult. So keep that in mind, too, your um, your timeline on these things. The average, I mean, I don't know what the actual average time is for a Kickstarter, but don't be surprised if it takes you a year to fulfill that first one. Even if it's something relatively simple like a book, if it's the first time that you're doing it, you're going to need a long time. There's going to be problems. Things that you don't expect show up. Life gets in the way. Uh, fulfillment can take you a
0: really long time depending on how many people pledged. Uh, so even just formatting a book. Yeah. Is like layout can be a real pain oh. in the
1: ass. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, some people some people know what they're doing when they go into it, but if you didn't when you were actually creating your pages or writing your your book, it's gonna take mm. a while to put that together. Yeah. And it's one thing that
1: you can budget for. Uh, if let's you know, we keep talking about Kickstarter being used for a book, but let's say you do use it for a print book. One thing you can budget for is hiring a layout artist to help you. Uh, You'd be surprised if you ask around your friends if any of them are graphic designers, people who know how to use InDesign. See if you can hire a little bit of help to get that stuff done if you're worried about the timeline. Of course, some people like to learn it all themselves, and I think Mm. there's some value to that. Oh, yeah. But
0: it it can be challenging. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people are like, I want to learn every part of this process, and some people are like, I'd rather be writing my next book. So, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so be careful not to think about your timeline. Don't overstretch. Um, consider your shipping.
0: Yeah, absolutely consider your shipping and not just in sort of a general sense, but like weigh a book that's about the same length and size as your book. Mm -hmm. See how much it costs to ship that. Think about every single piece of merch, you know, think about the fact that a book can go media mail, but if you have a book in a keychain, you have to send it first class, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of that kind of thing, and I mean I've been doing shipping for a long time, so yeah. I kind of, uh, you know, know all the shipping classes and what it costs, and and also like if you're in the United States, there's sort of three tiers: there's the U.S., there's Canada, and then there's the rest of the world. So like you know don't set don't set your international uh, uh, shipping rates based on Canada because Canada's Canada cheaper, is cheaper yeah. and so it's still
1: expensive, but it's not. So for example, a, a, like. One copy of Tokyo Demons, which is a relatively big book. It's eight and a half by five and a half. It's four hundred pages, but it's not glossy pages, so you know it's it's big but not humongous. That can cost as much as like 20 dollars to ship it to like England, mm-hmm. and I know that that kind of shocks some people. Um, people in England are not shocked because they've been dealing with stuff like this. It, it, but to Canada, it might cost what like sixteen, somewhere around. Uh, there.
0: Yeah, the first the first uh, tier of Canadian shipping is like. 1250 or something, something like, like that. that, yeah. You know, these things change all the time, though, so don't even yeah. take this as, as a real recommendation. Right. They're always, you know, switching things there was around. A,
1: there was a big price increase specifically in 2016 for the United States Postal Service for internationals, so there's quite a, a big price jump that maybe if you were, if you did a Kickstarter two or three years ago and you're like, oh, I know what shipping is, nope, check again. That's just kind of the way. And it's it's similar to taxes, right? It's non-negotiable. You have no control over that. There are ways for you to get discounted shipping if you have like a stamps.com account, which costs money. So it's like you're, you need to be doing bulk to make it worth it. Um, there are also some cases where like some people use DHL and they can get a deal or UPS in theory. But again, that's usually bulk in businesses. It's not most people who are shipping from the United States are going to be shipping USPS. Yeah. If you're shipping from Canada, I'm very sorry. It's going to be really expensive (laughs) to ship anywhere. And in that case, something that like, for example, that sparkler does Rebecca who runs the sparkler shop, she does Kickstarter fulfillment for creator, uh, Canadian and foreign creators sometimes. So because it's much cheaper to ship everything out from the United States, considering most uh, audience members for Kickstarter are in the United States, that's, like, a really big market. And even international rates can be cheaper from the United yeah, States. Yeah, in general, like, yeah. uh,
0: I mean, at least the places that we've been able to compare to, which is mostly Canada, it's a lot cheaper to, to ship from down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and there, there are fulfillment services that will do that. I know Sparkler's not the only one there, mm. um, especially if it gets too too big or, uh, you know,
0: foreign address. <laughs> that is one of those things where, I mean, I think a lot of people who just back Kickstarters have noticed that when a Kickstarter really takes off in popularity, all of a sudden the time it takes to do everything really increases because they promised, you know, a new fancy bonus material. They promised mm-hmm. that everything was going to be longer and bigger and better and all of a sudden they have to actually produce that. And it just, you mm-hmm. know, your core team is still the same couple of people. I mean, sometimes you can hire somebody, but if you're a comic artist, you still have to draw your own comic. You know, yeah. if you're a, a game designer, you still have to, you know, well, games game tend to spiral out of control bigger than anything because making a game bigger yeah. just... Exponential yeah, and money. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's uh, the big successes sometimes just take an incredible amount of, extra time and, and work even, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes the amount of new money you got doesn't even really equal that. Like, like budgeting problems come up all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I have my whole list of things for, for, you know, inexperienced people trying to do their first paperback and just like, don't do a hardcover, don't do this, don't yeah, do that, you know, you know. It might be helpful. <laughs> Let's do a don't do list first. Or don'ts. Don't promise anything
1: that needs a poster tube to ship. So any kind of, uh, print that's over eight and a half by 11 is not going, like, unless your Kickstarter is for a poster, obviously, like, <laughs> um, if you're doing any kind of item that's, uh, like basically any item that's flat, uh, and a print that's bigger than eight and a half by 11 is going to have to go in a poster too, which means it's a, you have to buy the tubes to ship it and you have to ship it separately. Like you have to pay a separate shipping cost for it. A couple exceptions are like if you're shipping a huge box of items, you can in theory fit an eight and a half by eleven poster tube in there, but that's kind of rare. So if you're doing mm-hmm. a book or whatever and you want to do a print set, uh, you want to do some kind of a print, I would recommend either a postcard print set or an eight and a half by eleven, which both can ship flat mm-hmm. um, with the book. You can buy kind of like hard uh, envelopes. There's like a like a art kind of a hard oh they're envelope.
0: like they're yeah like flat uh, right. flat envelopes. So they're just like. Flat-rigid cardboard—they're not that expensive. You can get them in bulk,
1: and you can ship them with the book like stacked on top in a big envelope. Mm -hmm. And it's it's, not—it's—it's way easier to manage. You don't have to pay that second shipping cost because the shipping costs, and then you have
0: to buy the shipping tubes too, which Mm is—I mean—in this case, you have to buy the flat mailers as well. Yeah, and honestly, even just even just the time it takes to sit there and print out a second batch of labels Mm -hmm. to the same people,
1: and they get damaged pretty frequently too in the mail, like the eight and a half by eleven tubes.
0: Like there, you keep saying eight and a half by eleven tubes. That's not Oh, sorry.
1: Eleven by seventeen. Have yeah. I been saying eight and a half by eleven? Yeah,
0: yeah. Sorry.
1: I meant to say eleven by seventeen prints are usually go in a tube. Eight and a half by eleven is okay. But eleven by seventeen or higher has to go in a tube. More easily can more easily get damaged, um, requires a separate kind of annoying thing to buy. And it just adds a level of complication and shipping costs that you don't, you don't want that kind of heat.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I mean, one of the big things is that for... I mean, you know, we say don't do a poster, but, like, you can do a poster as long as you make it one of your higher tiers. Yeah, if it's you know? a really
1: high tier, so it's going to be a limited number of people, and you up the shipping accordingly, then sure. But, like, don't make it a
0: free bonus add-on on low tiers. It's just going to get really out of hand. Yeah, <laughs> well, honestly, like, anything that you put... Any, any physical bonuses that you put on a low tier, I say, like make it the same or the same or smaller than the trim size of your book. Yes. You know, so you do a sticker sheet, but make it so you can tuck it inside the book. Do yeah. postcards, do uh, uh, bookmarks, you know, stuff like that. Anything you can actually tuck inside the book, but there is nothing more annoying than having some kind of little bonus that's, like, an extra half inch on each side, so now mm-hmm. you've got no way to ship it without it getting destroyed, yeah. without, like, getting some kind of massive cardboard insert or, you know, yeah. something like that. So, yeah, just just keep the trim size of your book in mind and make everything smaller. Yeah. Speaking of don'ts and damaged in shipping, Rebecca, I think you're going to know how to not, what you should not make your book cover. Oh, ugh, I hate French flaps. <laughs> French flaps are the worst. Because, you know, I I know people like them because they look nice. They are they, beautiful, they yes. They are quite beautiful, but the thing is, they come out of the box from the printer destroyed, like, half the time. You just get damaged yeah, they, so they're, easily. Yeah, you touch them and they explode. Like, they just... <laughs> they bend, yeah. Well, okay, they don't... Yes. I know, but in case Everyone somebody knows. doesn't know what a French flap is, but... Yeah, okay, so the French, French flaps are basically, you know, when you've got paperbacks, you've got... You know, your average, like, mass market uh, paperback is usually the the cover is cut totally flush with the pages. Like, someone, they usually took a paper cutter and sliced it all the same spot. So it, it it's like a big block. French flaps are those ones where you just, um where the cover kind of extends past the pages a little bit and then folds inwards, so you've got that little flap there. So, you know, and sometimes they'll put, like, the, the uh, you know, description of the book on the flap or the, you know, the the back cover copy, basically, on there. Or just, you know, extend the cover art or whatever. And they're quite beautiful, but just when you're doing something, like, in mass production, it's just like, you get them from the printer destroyed. You know? <laughs> you, they They come out of the box, and then you've got to ship one across the country, and it's like, well the flaps are already bending in on themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for whatever reason, that type of like, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's so much we could say about cover design and how sometimes these like really lovely minimalist covers, they just, they show every single scuff and bend. And, yeah. you know, it's just like a big mess. So uh, uh,
1: to be clear, I don't think there's a good reason to do a French flap. French flaps are beautiful, but I would do not do them if you're a beginner because they are a pain in the ass. So, like, don't do a French flap if you've never done a book before (laughs) until you figure out, you know, because there are a a fair number of small publishers we know who do French flaps and they do them well and they manage the shipping. They have special shipping containers and stuff. But like Rebecca said, sometimes they just come from the shipper kind of, the the printer kind of damaged because they just damage so easily. Mm. So I would, yes, don't do French flaps.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know... One of those things that people like to do when they when they have uh, stretch goals and kind of things are sort of bling out the book. So mm-hmm. for us, you know, our policy is always like, you know, make it shiny. Add mm-hmm. some shininess. Yeah, add a, a, you can add like a foil stamp. Yeah, uh, that's the actual technical term, not yeah. just shiny. But, you know, we're usually screaming about shininess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you can have a matte cover with a spot gloss on it. So it's basically like, it's not shiny, it's not glossy except in a particular spot. So mm-hmm. that's... that's the glossy spot kind of pops out which is a beautiful effect. Sometimes you can add bonus material to the back of the book that you wouldn't necessarily need to make new material for it, but it's stuff that for example, if you had a short story that you ran online that you're like, well, it's going to be an extra 30 pages in the book. I wasn't planning to print it, but that's a stretch goal. I can put that into the book as well. Once you have a book in production, adding an extra 30 pages is really not that big of a deal. Um, but it's something that you can make a stretch goal Things like that Whereas you can make
0: the book more exciting You can put more material in it But <laughs> don't give it a French <laughs> flap If you can avoid it So See, I know that there are so many like book creators right now Being all like, what? I yeah. love French flaps Everything I have has French flaps They're classic and beautiful And you know, we even had to have this argument a little bit with Lillian <laughs> Back in the day where it. she's like I have an idea of French flaps And I'm like, as a bookseller and a shipper Absolutely not Yeah <laughs> Yeah <laughs> So, just not your first book. That's all, guys. What else? Would you I mean, see? you know, do what you are gonna do, but yeah,
1: <laughs> just warning. Ugh, the what, worst. What's another don't that you would tell them?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I, I think I think the the main one. This is sort of vague, but it's like just in general, like don't get carried away. You know, <laughs> money doesn't stretch as far as you think it does. Like you've got to really go through and like figure out, you know, your numbers how how many of your sort of base tier, which most people just want the book, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like the, the average person is going to just get the book. Uh, so usually you're selling quite a few more of those than anything else. And then, you know, see how many of those is going to take to get your goal and see what your cost is on the print run you think you're going to be getting, you know, like Mm -hmm. you've got to, you've really got to know your costs ahead of time. And I know that some people really have gotten stuck when they had a book to come out and all of a sudden, you know, they had all these people on the line, they had all this this stuff going on and they promised too much and they just couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. And shipping, I mean, people say shipping is like the biggest thing on that. And that's true. Like shipping is going to cost you way more than you think it is shipping. When someone pays for shipping, it adds toward your total. Mm -hmm. So it kind of falsely, uh, brings you toward the total with money. That's just going straight back out the door. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've got to like, like, I mean, I think in general, if you, if you're unsure, just add more money you know
1: yeah there was kind of a I can't
0: quite remember it but uh,
1: there was like an equation that worked when you were doing a printing uh, a print run of something and it was like of your kickstarter goal if you know take your print what what it would cost to do the print run and that should be about 40 percent of your goal and another 40 percent goes towards shipping and then a 20 percent goes towards supplementary things maybe some of the bonus rewards depending on what you're doing because that could be a much bigger chunk like Rebecca said when your your shipping counts, when, when somebody pledges, let's say, $25 and the shipping is $5, they're pledging $30 and that goes into your total as $30. But five of that is going straight back out to shipping. So if you're saying, oh, it's going to cost me $3,000 to do a print run of this book, your goal should not be $3,000. Your goal should be $3,000 plus shipping, you know, a mm-hmm. certain number of books, plus Printing up your keychains plus printing up your prints, blah blah blah, plus plus Kickstarter takes like between eight and ten percent. Um, plus, okay, here's my if I screw up money, mm, yeah. Because don't forget that like when you ship out, you're still gonna get damaged books that you have to resend. You're gonna get bounce backs. People are gonna give you the wrong address. So there's gonna be a lot of hidden costs there. There's also gonna be overruns from the printer where they say, oh, it's gonna cost about three thousand dollars, but if we print more books you're on the hook for them which is not usually a huge percentage but it's what like 10 percent
0: yeah it's still something that happens you know
1: right so if you're if your print run let's say that your print run is going to cost three thousand dollars and you're planning some basic rewards like postcards maybe a keychain maybe an eight and a half by eleven print you should probably be aiming for you know ten grand or so for everything that's mm-hmm. that. not granted that's a really rough approximation do a little bit of research and stuff, like, don't, don't, but, but you know what I mean, that's what you should be thinking about, not, oh, I need three to five thousand, no, you're gonna need a lot
0: more than that, just to ship them out, so keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always just one of those sort of, like, you know, you, you balance what you think you can do versus what you think you can get, mm-hmm. and so, you know, if you're looking at your, your costs, and you're like, this is a ten grand Kickstarter, but it's my very first Kickstarter, I don't know how much of an audience, you probably can't get ten grand, so you're gonna have to find a way to reduce your costs, you know?
1: Yeah, and, I mean, and, The point of, the way it was explained to me, the original point of Kickstarter was to kickstart a project. So you didn't always kickstart all the funds that you needed. It was just enough money to get you going. So keep in mind that if you're like, okay, this Kickstarter, I need $10,000. My audience is zero. (laughs) Like there's no way I'm going to be able to get $10,000 out of nothing, but maybe you can raise $3,000. Do you have $7,000 in savings that you can put towards, put towards this to fill in the gap? And in some cases, the answer is yes. that's how we did Toki Demon's book two. The book one was basically funded you know on money that I had and then um we I think we were looking for three thousand dollars. We ended up with close to eight, but that was basically to help fund um a print run a book one and help offset some of the costs of book two and I spent a lot more money than that on the print run and on book two and everything. but that money went a long way to to help with that mm-hmm. so but it was it was more like. If you don't have any money other than what you're raising on Kickstarter, then be very, very careful. Because, mm. you know, you, you need more than just printing the books. You need all this other production costs. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun um, budgeting things out. You can go kind of look at different printers. You can ask around your... I would always recommend asking other self-publishers, like, what printers do you like? A lot of them are very happy to talk about, like, oh, I use this place and I like them. Or this place had bad customer service, or, <laughs> or whatever the case. It it always seems to shift the printers that uh, people like. But I'm sure a lot of your buddies have run Kickstarters and they have a, opinions with the capital O. So yeah,
0: and if you don't have buddies who've done it, like the internet has a lot of opinions. So
1: yeah, yeah, know. that's
0: true too. So that's so now we'll have a do list. Do look up how to run a good Kickstarter
1: articles. There are a million. Oh my them. god, yeah. Read a bunch of them and, then you know, take them all with a grain of salt because it's everyone's opinion. But they're gonna, you're going to hear certain things over and over. Like, what's well, a good day to start or end a Kickstarter? Um, Tuesday is a pretty good day from what I understand. <laughs> At least they say kind of don't start or end on a weekend for a lot of people. Uh, it's wisdom I've heard a lot. Um, you'll see sort of like time of year where a lot of people are pledging to Kickstarters. Don't have a Kickstarter that's ending right around Christmas, for example. Because yeah. people are not online and all their money is spent on Christmas mm-hmm. presents.
0: Yeah, well, for people who are not, like, sort of already in, like, the sales and retail world, which, you know, we are clearly kind of, like, stuck in there right now because we've got all this, you know, just Christmas is, like, this giant, like, blip on the horizon where Mm -hmm. people make and lose a ton of money and just, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like it makes or breaks your business, it makes or breaks your sales for the year, uh, you know, so everyone's kind of freaking out about Christmas most of the time. But Mm -hmm. fundraisers are kind of separate from that because it's, like, you know if you have a fundraiser in December, no one's getting the book until at least, like, March. Probably more like, you know, July or October, Mm -hmm. depending on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, so it makes kind of a crappy Christmas gift.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just the other day, we, um, well, I guess a couple weeks ago now, was working on a Kickstarter that launched December
0: 26th. Mm -hmm. Which, actually, it did very well. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, that's actually another one of those pieces of just general retail wisdom, is that you've got your Christmas rush, but then directly after christmas people have christmas money yeah people, a lot of people have money because they they either got christmas money they returned things mm-hmm. you know just just there's sort of a second surge of money with people like spending their gift cards and stuff right so you know so i would say something. mostly like
1: don't launch so that the ending is at christmas because a, the majority of your backers are going to be in the first uh, week and or rather even more like the first couple days and then the last two days is where the majority of funding comes from. So you're going to have a slow middle. <laughs> um, but make sure that when, when you're ending it, you don't want to end it on a day or a time where people aren't going to be around. Don't end it at, like, 3 in the morning. Don't end it at, like, 9 in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. like, put it at a time where people can watch the countdown. Um, and don't put it at a time where nobody's going to want to be on their computer, such as the day before Christmas. <laughs> like, uh, stuff like that. So... Just kind of keep in mind, uh, but go read a bunch of these articles. There's a lot of good, there have been graphs. You know, there's a lot Mm. of data out there, um, especially now since Kickstarter's been around so long.
0: I think also, my my main thing that I think is that, you know, the, the Kickstarter itself is a lot of fun, you
1: mm-hmm. know, and,
0: and we kind of, were, we're being very doom and gloom because we've seen people really struggle, mm-hmm. uh, and we've struggled ourselves, you know, well, like, yeah, we've made sure. some missteps and mistakes and and learned a hell of a lot over the course of, like, eight Kickstarters, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but, uh... You know the actual Kickstarter itself—it's—it's it's an opportunity to kind of celebrate your work. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the times it brings people out of the woodwork who really like your stuff. People mm-hmm. say nice things about you, so it's a nice ego boost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there's just there's a lot there's a lot of good to it and and everything. But then when you actually have to produce, it's sort of a slog a lot of the yeah. time because you promised a bunch of stuff and now you've got to actually fulfill that promise. There isn't really that that nice, uh, positive reinforcement around there. If you're sort of screwing it up, sometimes there's kind of negative stuff going on, people making demands. And, you know, I'm going to say like 99% of the people who we talk to are beautiful, wonderful people, but there's always that 1% who want something kind of weird or unreasonable or, you know, just uh, are not very nice about understanding why their book is late. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, people going on to Kickstarter, if you are sort of a experienced kickstarter person you you know that projects are always late like without fail everybody's project is late and you try really hard to not make it be late and you try to set the dates reasonably and and do what you can but like the number of people who get their stuff out on time is like a tiny percentage you know Oh yeah and if you're trying to put together a book even if the pages are done give yourself six months to a year to get that paper back out
1: for all all the reasons that we've already said (laughs) Mm uh do consider taking the day off work on the first day and the last day the first day is because you're going to be obsessed with refreshing the page and <laughs> you're not going to get any work done and you're going to want to scream it from the heavens and people are going to be talking about you and promoting you and you want to be able to retweet them and and do live updates like oh my
0: gosh oh hey. yeah and i mean like like another Another do is definitely, like, be all over social media. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, my gosh. Reblog everyone who says anything nice about you. Just, like... And part of it... Again, this is is part of the sort of party atmosphere of it. Where, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, as publishers, a lot of the time, it's fun for us because we get to plug something that we are big fans of. Like, we did the Orange Junk Kickstarter recently, and, like... You know, we love orange junk so much, Mm, and having the opportunity to talk about how great orange junk is all the time (laughs) is, like, really great, because, you know, know, Mm. I mean, you know, when when you're talking about advertising work that is part of your company, or even just your own work, like, you you have to kind of have restraint sometimes, you know? Mm. People are going to get annoyed if you're just constantly talking up stuff, but, like, uh, Orange Junk is amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to just spatially scream that and have all sorts of opportunity for art and for bringing the fans out of the woodwork and having people talk about it. And, you know... Kickstarter is the perfect time to do that. It's actually yeah. the most effective time to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, but- because, you know, the fans who want the book, they also... They, you know, it's a little bit on them to spread it, too, you know? A little bit, yeah. If they,
1: if, if it's struggling or something and they really want it to happen, then they do, they, there's momentum there that they really want to push it. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, do uh, keep in mind that you don't want to be obnoxious about it. So, what's good is not, you know, necessarily emailing people you know and being like, hey guys, for sure. but com- posting about it on social media a lot so that your friends who follow you will see it and reblog it. But like, Don't go to, like, seasoned uh, editors or um, seasoned, like, journalists whom you've never spoken to and be like, hey, can you promote my Kickstarter? Because it's just really transparent. Mm. It's, you know...
0: Yeah. And one thing you will realize when you start a Kickstarter is that there is this entire industry of people trying to, like, quote-unquote, help you with your Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, Some of them are scam artists. Some of them are just kind of opportunists who just go around and you're going to start getting messages through the Kickstarter system saying, like... Hello, your Kickstarter looks amazing. Would you like 90,000 Twitter followers and, Mm. you know, something, something, something? And just, you know, they just, they come through and you're going to get like 10 a day, honestly, at this point. Uh, So, you know, uh, be very wary of those people. I mean, you know, there's a decent chance a lot of people do need help with some aspect of the process, but... I mean, you're probably not going to get it through a spam message. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there. I'm sure there are some people who through those things who are legit, but I'm sure their number is, like, much fewer than... Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just, just go ask on artist communities, you know, who yeah. to do copy editing, who to do mm-hmm. uh, layout, because they're going to know better than some weirdo who contacts you out of the blue. Yep. Yeah, or people saying, oh,
1: I'll support you if you support mine, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, so... And and there is a little bit of cross promotion that goes on. Um, sometimes if it's like a buddy of yours or a comic that you're really a fan of, and you're you know you're you're in contact with them, and you want to promote their Kickstarter through your Kickstarter, like we've
0: done that before. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and with you a know a few key projects, and yeah. we've had people come out of the work to promote us, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and that's one yeah. of those things. If you are a fan, just like this is sort of you know there there's this incredible value to having something to rally behind, and I think that a lot of people, like, you know, if you're just a writer, or an artist, or a comic artist, or whichever, you know, you'll have all those people in your life who are like, oh, you write a book, I really would like to read your book, and they never do, you Mm -hmm. know, just your your social circles are surrounded by people who are kind of vaguely interested in what you're doing, and they want to support you as a person, but they don't really have a way to do that, and this gives that to them, Mm -hmm. and you know, like... (laughs) Our first Kickstarter, like my uncle, who has zero interest in any of the stuff that we're working on, just pledged a hundred dollars because he loves us. You know, like <laughs> Yeah. Didn't your parents pledge five hundred bucks <sighs> in the first one? Oh, my parents pledged some stupid amount yeah. and they're like, you know, you're like what the hell? You don't want Tokyo Demons? <laughs> no, but they like. Oh, my daughter's working on something. Yeah, I mean they. It's also, cute. The yeah, fr- the first Kickstarter. The people who come out of the woodwork in the first Kickstarter is like hilarious. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it is going to be like extended family and friends and stuff like that. You yeah. know, because they they want they they're, even if they're not like reading your stuff, they want you to do well. Yeah, um, and also like because when you do a vi- oh,
1: that reminds me. First of all, it, it, what I was trying to say was it's a really good overview of your project. So, people in your life who are interested in about it interested in it but maybe wouldn't read it, will at least get a good idea of what you've been working on. Yeah, Those so really it, it can
0: points. it can yeah. uh, it's a good thing to talk about it holidays with your, you know, your parents and your your extended family who don't know what you're doing all yeah. the time, you know, unless you're doing like the gay porn manga and then some people's parents yeah. are not <laughs> so <laughs> they don't into want to that. Talk about it. But uh, you know, but speaking of another do,
1: do a video. Um it's actually there there's like I think there's data about how videos, uh, Kickstarters with videos are more likely to succeed. And also, if you have a video, you qualify for like the projects we love thing, which is when Kickstarter, it used to be editor's pick, Mm -hmm. but it's when Kickstarter internally promotes something that they like. I I don't think you qualify if you don't have a video. So there's a lot of reasons why you should do a video. And I know for a lot of people, that seems very intimidating. And I, and you know, it's fair. It, It can be very difficult to do a good video. But don't be afraid to take shortcuts. Some things that I would recommend is the average person should probably not be doing a video recording of themselves. Because if you're recording on an iPhone in your messy bedroom, um, <laughs> the quality is not going to be that great.
0: Yeah, we're all artists and writers here. A lot of us are not the most photogenic, camera-ready people. Yeah, just you don't have the, the equipment to film.
1: Filming it yeah. takes expensive, difficult, <laughs> like, it's complicated. However, it's not that hard to record your voice. Um, and there's a lot of free music on YouTube that you can use in the background, and if you have art, you can use it. We do pretty much exclusively voiceover and or music over images and like all of our Kickstarter videos, it lets us control the quality a lot better. Mm -hmm. We actually don't even do much voiceover anymore. We mostly just do music. Yeah, we've
0: kind of moved to that as a different style, which it seems to be doing pretty well because you get to do almost like a trailer. Mm -hmm. And so you can have text on the screen and it's very dramatic. And I mean, our Tokyo Demons one (laughs) was specifically... overly dramatic, yeah. yeah, Oh yeah, the word we've been using is overly dramatic, which is sort of... uh, it works for the series because, mm. you know, this is sort of how we always do things where the series of Tokyo Demons is like really, really sort of, a, a you know, there's a lot of angst and a lot of darkness and a lot of horrifying things happen, but we're always kind of just, you know, like poking with the tropes and having fun with it. Mm. So it was time for our big dramatic trailer, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you do want to do a voice recording, uh, the nice thing about that is it's, it's way easier to edit in, you know, your, your stutters and stops Mm-hmm. out of things. And I mean, I've been doing voice recording for like audio dramas and stuff for years, but Kickstarter recording is its own kind of challenge just because it's very hard to hit the right tone. Yeah, You know, this is something, I mean, cause I've also helped, I helped our friends at uh, Lucky Squid who they do like plush, uh, work on their first uh, Kickstarter. And it's just, you know, you don't want to be too bubbly, but you don't want to be too boring. And it's yeah. just, you know, I mean, I have nothing but the utmost respect for anyone who does voice work, you know, just because Mm -hmm. of, you know, meeting all these incredible, talented people who I've gotten to work with. But, like, you know, there's a difference between acting for realism and presenting a product and, you know, having that kind of, like, upbeat but not... Cloying kind of tone of voice, yeah, and then being clear and and you know not slurring through your words, not speaking too fast or too slow. Yeah. It's it's challenging, and you know multiple times when we've done Kickstarter voice voiceovers, we've uh, recorded it. I've gone to the editing process, and we've had to actually start entirely over again. Yeah, so you know just have a have a real solid assessment of where you're at from a, a kind of understandability and make you know hitting the right tone. I've seen some people who do the video recording
1: um, purposefully kind of low budget, which mm-hmm. sometimes work and it's funny. I've seen a couple of those. Some people will do like a little bit of them doing uh, video recording and they'll splice it in against moving images. So there'll be sections where it's them talking and then it moves to moving images. Personally, I think if you've got decent art to work with, I, I just really like painting images <laughs> and then either speaking over it or doing a trailer style with um, basic... You know text you don't need a complicated program I use iMovie for a fair number of our trailers um, obviously if you have the Adobe Creative Suite you can use Premiere Pro and that gives you a lot more options. You can even do things like buy video transitions or or buy um, you know trailer kits yeah there are some those of those kind
0: of like plug and play like stick your images in and
1: it'll do a thing and, yep. you know and although we are very fortunate to have an in-house composer with Rebecca here. Um, sometimes we do, so sometimes she composes music for the Kickstarter video, sometimes we use, um, the YouTube free, there's like basically royalty free music on YouTube that you can look up, a ton of it, that people <laughs> use in Kickstarter videos, or you can buy a license for a song, uh, premiumbeat.com is a really fun place where you can buy super dramatic trailer music, which we bought <laughs> a couple times. I think the Orange Junk trailer and the Tokyo mm-hmm. trailer both had music from there, um, yeah, the nice thing about that and is pay that... like 50 bucks and you yeah, get to use it, yeah.
0: It all it all comes in like different length loops. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can have like the 30 second version, the 60 second version, the two yep. minute version, whatever, you know.
1: And also your video doesn't have to be long. It seems like the average video length is somewhere but like... I think maybe you got a law of diminishing returns after two minutes or something. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to do a video that's like a minute long. I've seen some videos that I thought were very effective that were literally like 45 seconds long. People have short attention spans, so don't kill yourself. Our first video was five minutes, which now looking back, it's like, what the hell? Well, we Um, didn't
0: know we were, you know, we didn't know all of this data that we have now, you Mm -hmm. know. Uh, And at that point, we were doing voiceover to explain what our project was. And And our project was just complicated. Yeah, Yeah. so, you know. uh, But just, if you're getting into this for the first time now, you can probably leave out a lot of details, you know. Like, make the video sort of the short and sweet version, and then... Mm -hmm explain everything in the text below, you know? Get mm-hmm. some nice images. I mean, and I mean, you know, there's so many Kickstarter projects out there. You can just look at what other people did in mm-hmm. terms of formatting and stuff and just, you know, copy things. <laughs> in, I mean, not... Yeah, okay, not, cop- not plagiarize, right. but take inspiration from <laughs> yes, it. Yes, copy is the wrong word, but just in terms of, like, you know, you'll see a lot of people, they'll have the way that they do visuals for showing you what you get in each tier, Well, you'll have certain types of charts. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, like, look at the way that other people are presenting information because Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people who've who've been very successful out there already and you can just kind of learn from them, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, um, do keep in mind about the, the price
1: of your tiers. It seems that the most common tier on Kickstarter is $25. I don't know if that means it's the most, I mean, I guess you could technically say it's the most popular, but, (laughs) um, it's a $25 is a good number for you to, set for something physical so a book like that's the cost of the book um you can have tiers that are less than that and you can have tiers that are more than that obviously um but 25 dollars is a good place to to aim your main lowest tier around now in some cases 25 dollars is way too much for a simple book and in that case you can have it comes it's a book that comes with you know postcards or stickers or ebook or whatever the case is because that $25 round number works very well. It, it's, it's also easy for you to, um, it, it's not so high that a pledger is going to be like, I'm not going to pay that much money. But it's also not so low that you're going to be underselling yourself and being like, okay, I need to raise $3,000. My book tier is <laughs> $10. Look at the lowest level tier that people have to buy for what the, the primary goal of your Kickstarter is. So if you're doing a print book, what's the price of your print book? rather what's the tier that your print book is going to be at that's the tier that the majority of people are going to get some people are going to just get the ebook which is cheaper and some people are going to buy more than that but if you're trying to make a book buy the book it's going to be the main tier don't make that too low because like if you need a certain number of if you need a certain amount of money at the end divide it by the number of that tier and if the answer is like you need four or five hundred people to pledge, well, that's really hard to do in a first Kickstarter, unless you have a big marketing plan behind you, um, and you're relatively new at this. Uh, you know, if your audience is small, you'll be lucky to break a hundred backers. Um, if you have a fairly successful webcomic already, and you know <laughs> you have ten thousand readers or whatever, well, now you're talking. You can get a couple hundred backers. That that's a lot more reasonable. But um, our first Kickstarter. I think we hit 101, and we Mm -hmm. did surprisingly well. Like, we did much better than we expected to. Mm. So, again, be be kind of realistic about this and look at sort of what do I think that I can get. Mm -hmm. A low-level project is somewhere in the 100, maybe 200, but I think, like, Sparkle Year 3 had something like 250 backers, you know? Like, Mm. it's not... (laughs) So if all those backers are going to be mostly pledging the $10 tier, well, that's, you know...
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) not a lot of money guys so um
1: keep that in mind as well but Mm -hmm. i think also we talked about the video i think i've always had the most fun doing the trailers and -hmm. then also you can use them afterwards you know yeah um the kickstarter informational videos although you know can be very effective for kickstarter they don't have as much value outside of kickstarter you can also do a video that's like a trailer that has a kickstarter section at the end That you can later cut and then make it a trailer. Like an all-purpose trailer at the end. Which I personally like to do. Yeah, that's kind of a basic
0: intro to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I know some people are really kind of scared of Kickstarter in terms of just, you know, you hear the horror stories about people who've really screwed them up. And that guy that burned all the books. Oh, God. Yeah, some people go kind of (laughs) batty. Yeah, I mean, it's rough. And, And, you know, Kickstarters fail, people don't mm-hmm. send their stuff, but, like, as long as you're kind of conservative about everything, mm-hmm. you know, you you don't overstretch, you don't, like, overpromise anything, they're a really, really good way to get the word mm-hmm. out there about your project and actually get your project made in a way that you might have not been able to, you know? Yeah,
1: and, and be transparent, you know, do frequent updates with your backers, answer your messages. Um, yeah, how, how do you
0: feel about spreadsheets? Because, like... You're gonna get all your data in spreadsheets and I mean there's a lot of little tricky things to that, but like I always just take all of the individual tier data and just put it into one giant spreadsheet mm-hmm. and uh, you know, add little rows to myself for what's been sent for mm-hmm. e- ebooks and for paperbacks and Yeah, and you when know. you get the spreadsheets at the end, once the once the Kickstarter's over and you
1: send out a survey to the backers to get things like T shirt size and mailing address, they give you a you have to do a different survey and you get a different spreadsheet for each tier. So usually when I'm setting up the surveys, I try to ask the questions in like a similar yeah. order so that it'll be easier to combine those spreadsheets at the end as opposed to moving around a lot of data. I mean, I don't want this this uh, podcast to go into too much of the nitty-gritty. Yeah, because we could talk about you know, that forever, forever. Yeah.
0: and then just complain about things.
1: Yeah, as of right now, Kickstarters... Basically, the the the, t- the box that you put your text and, and pictures in, your graphics for like the project page, I think it's called Story... You can't access the HTML for that, and it does really crazy spacing um, on the images and with links. So I will say that as until they have fixed that, which I don't know if they ever will because it's been like that for years, when you make one of those, like, here's a graphic showing all of your tiers, it's a lot easier to make one big graphic that shows all the indiv- all the tiers on it than to do individual graphics that have each tier on it because each individual graphic, the spacing can get kind of weird, I mean, it's, like, stuff like that. There's a lot mm-hmm. of little tricks to it, so, um, you know, leave yourself open plenty of time to kind of experiment mm-hmm. through using Kickstarter software itself, because it has its own tricks. Um, like Rebecca said, just be kind of conservative. And yeah,
0: be conservative, be as organized as you possibly can, mm-hmm. you know, again, like... Be transparent. If if, if uh, saying you've got to use spreadsheets is like, oh, good, then you're you're in the right mindset if you're like, oh God, what do I do with spreadsheets? It's just, it's going to come up.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. So let's discuss very quickly a couple of Kickstarters that you guys should look up if you want good examples of how, how to run a Kickstarter, things that were either very successful or very well designed or usually both. Mm. Um, I would say one to learn what not to do. The sparkler Kickstarters that for the year, like sparkler year three, sparkler year four, those Kickstarters were exceptionally complicated. I did them because I've been doing a lot of Kickstarters. But if you look at those two, that is how not to do it. Do not have ten million tiers. <laughs> do not have ten million graphics. Do not have ten million combinations possible. Um, that is for advanced users only. <laughs> yeah.
0: But like you know, if you want an example from us that actually works, you know, something like like the Orange Junk Kickstarter. The Orange Junk Kickstarter, you know, is pretty well designed. I know. mean, a lot of the times we're. We're uh, printing more than one book at a time, which again adds like mm-hmm. a layer of complexity. And, and then you're thinking about, well, most people are going to want all the books, but we, you know, how are we going to price that tier, you know?
1: Knights Errant was pretty straightforward.
0: That's true, yeah. As far as Kickstarters, um,
1: I would say uh, I really liked the simplicity of design of Wildlife, the webcomic. That's a hype comic. Wild is spelled W-I-L-D-E. That Kickstarter raised something like $80,000 or whatever. It had like six tiers. The <laughs> video was like it was like a trailer that was like 45 seconds long. I like She did everything beautifully. Great mm-hmm. graphics. Kept it simple. Did very, very <laughs> well. I mean, that's an exceptional comic, too. I totally recommend people read it. Um, the Thousand and One Nights Kickstarter was very complicated. Uh, they're still fulfilling it, so I can't really make a judgment on sort of how the fulfillment went. But I will say that the design of the page itself was being passed around by a lot of publishers being like, oh, look how beautiful this was. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really time for, uh, you know, if, if you're somebody who uh, has a talent for a visual design, it's yeah. a good time to shine. People do really gorgeous graphics. Oh, yeah, and installs you know. like, I think she was a <laughs> Grammy-nominated uh, designer who Oh, yeah, she's pretty
1: amazing. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, I I would also say a check, please, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, as an example of... I mean, that Kickstarter raised, what, over $300,000? Oh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, That stacked, interestingly, it kind of upsold a lot of stuff. I wanted to get both paperbacks, and I ended up having to pledge something like $75, which seems really high for paperbacks, but... um, Uh, The check,
0: please, audience will do that?
1: Yeah, and it it, it worked, in that case, and... um, (laughs) She raised a metric shit ton of money, so... And also, it was really well-designed. If you look at it, it's, like, the... She did a really great job with graphics and organization. That was her second Kickstarter, obviously, because it was, like, Check, Please, book two, to clarify. The book, the Check, Please, book one was also well done, but the book two was the one that made
0: yeah. gangbusters. Yeah, and that's, you know, a lot of times, people's second Kickstarter fixes a lot of problems of the first one, you know? Mm-hmm. hmm certainly happened with us, where the 8th Kickstarter fixed problems of the 7th one, you know? Yeah. You're always just figuring... It. Like, I-, I know I keep talking about spreadsheets, but that, that spreadsheet that I have for my... Le- you know, because I've been kind of fulfilling uh, year 4 and uh, the Knights Errant Kickstarter at the same time a little bit, and... My Night's Iron Kickstarter spreadsheet is way better than my year four mm-hmm. one. I mean, year four was just more complicated because everyone's getting a different book and just, you know, it's yeah. the, shoving the exact same thing into an envelope over and over again is so much easier than uh, trying to, like, count up how many people got this book, how many people got that book. Yeah. The Kickstarter's
1: that Iron Circus production, so the ones that Spike runs. Those are all good. So, um Smut Peddler, T J and a Mall, those are really well designed. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I think there they're kind of a lot out there that people have probably been following. I mean you can just look and see which ones, the visual designs that you like and also which ones were, were successful. Um Hot Blood was another good one. <laughs> um Always Raining Here too. I mean Always Raining Here one was also good, but two we were we were we've been helping on that one a little bit too and I really liked how that that was a really good example of a video that they took. Uh, it was like a a video of them like outside doing the Kickstarter video that they eventually spliced some images into. Um, that video was really funny. I really liked the way that they did that. <laughs> they are one of the few people that I'm like, okay, they use that video very effectively. Oh,
0: yeah, and I mean like if you're somebody who loves being on camera, or if you're somebody who has funny ideas for this kind of thing, mm. and you've got the equipment, and you've got the stuff, like, just fucking go for it. Yeah. And, you know, because people on Kickstarter will reward creativity. Like, yes. you have to actually pull it off, you know? But it's mm. just, if, if the idea of doing a video is like, oh, God, what do I do? I hate my voice. I hate... I don't have mm. audio equipment. Blah, blah, blah. Like, seriously, just just get, get a free song from somewhere, and put up some pictures, you know? Right. <laughs> I more say this because, like, in the earlier
1: days of Kickstarter, there were so many videos that were, like, you know, for a video game or whatever, and it would be a, a terribly, like, low-quality video of somebody standing against a, bl- a white wall with bad lighting, their voice echoing like crazy And then it would clip back to the, the video game footage And I'm like, why did you bother doing a video of your face? Yeah Like, when your voice over this clip would have been perfect And you would look so much more professional Because you could yeah. make your voice sound better Yeah, because I
0: think there was an idea in the beginning And they were specifically really encouraging people Because they wanted to put a human face in the project But, uh, <laughs> as someone who is part of the, uh, you know Like, writing and art and this kind of thing Some of us don't have human faces that are fit for consumption <laughs> Well, it's kind of like
1: where in your house? Like, do you have a nice wall behind you, or are there books on every surface and
0: like weird yeah. anime
1: posters
0: on your wall? <laughs>
1: And stuff, and also just like you don't have a mic for it, like you're you're so far away from your camera, and your lighting is bad, and you're filming it at three in the morning because you're a vampire and you don't work during the day. Yeah, just and like l- that.
0: let me be clear the, What both of us are saying when we say you, we're talking Maybe about me. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like nobody needs to see this. No, I'm gesturing to my face and my body. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> like she said, creativity is paid
1: off, but you know. Play to your strengths. Let's yeah, say. exactly. And yeah. the thing
0: is, you know, people have done really funny, clever videos with just still images and, and text, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people we know have started doing animation where they just do yeah, themselves as little chibis. Yeah, you yeah. know, like really simple animation. And if that's something that you know how to do, take advantage, you mm-hmm. know? Make a little you that's more adorable than the real you and mm-hmm. have it, like, gesturing to your cute things, and, yeah. you
1: know? So, you know, have fun. Uh, Good luck, anybody who decides to do Kickstarter, and don't be afraid if you fail. You
0: know, you can mm. always do
1: it again uh, yep.
0: after learning from it. Yeah, there are also a lot of projects where they kind of like screwed up the first time and then learned a lot and went back and did it and funded their project. Yeah, I've seen that a couple times on on pretty big projects. Mm. I think like even Skipbeat had
1: done that. The Skipbeat English version, mm. the first one had failed, and then the Askophonia Kickstarter succeeded, and then they ran it again, but like different yeah stuff like that and and then it succeeded so sometimes it's like the market the timing <laughs> yeah you know people want to buy video games on kickstarter yeah. and they want to buy board games on kickstarter well this is
0: one of those things that we talked about during our own submissions that like you know just good and successful are not the same thing yeah you know and your product has to be good to succeed but it doesn't that's not all it needs you know yeah timing look <laughs> yeah just you, you gotta find your audience somehow and you don't know where they are or who they are until you kind of find them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you fail on Kickstarter, you can always
1: do it again. It's not some sort of big embarrassment. The only real embarrassment that's going to happen is if you screw up fulfillment bad. If you either take forever and don't tell anybody, if you disappear with the money, um, <laughs> if, you know, if you don't fulfill yeah. or you fulfill a bad quality product. You know what we always say? If, if you're struggling, you can either be late and good or on time and, and less good. You can't be late and not good. <laughs> yeah. So if you find yourself, for example, the quality is like dwindling or whatever, spend the extra time to bring the quality up. Because if it's gonna be late anyway, it better be good. Because mm-hmm. if it shows up late and has problems, now your people are gonna be pissed.
0: Yeah. But you know, honestly, if you go onto the like Kickstarter reporting thing, you know, like make an update and say, I'm so sorry we ran into the following technical problems and give as much or as little detail as you feel like. People are going to understand. Oh, yeah. You know, most people are going to just come in there and be all like, oh, it's okay. We'll wait longer because most people are really nice and they don't hate you. They Mm -hmm. want you to succeed. You know, the reason they'd rather wait
1: for a good product. Like, keep in mind that the Kickstarter audience, first of all, they're great. They're really, really nice on average. Mm. You you get a couple weirdos and meanies. But for the most part, they're they're really great people, and by the very nature of what the 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 software is, these are people who are willing to wait. Mm. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't pledge for something that didn't exist yet. Yeah. So as long as you stay open with them um, and give yourself a decent, again, give yourself at least six months to fulfill, guys. Maybe more like a year. Um, and if you're transparent and keeping communication, usually. The vast majority of people are
0: really nice. Occasionally, people will get pissed, and you're like, okay, I'll refund you. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, that's, that's another fine. thing. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, be open to giving people a refund if they are just not happy anymore. Yeah, But that's, yeah. Like, that's like, basic customer service stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, Anyways. good luck with your Kickstarter.
1: Um, we hope you enjoy ours. I mean, we do have one. I yeah, we're technically promoting one right now. Honestly, Demon's technically, one. whenever
0: you're listening to this, there probably is one that we're doing. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, after the Toge Demons yeah. complete series one is over... We'll be doing Magical How next.
0: Mm, next that's gonna months. be a fun one. Yeah, and it's, it's also gonna be, be a nice simple one because there's one book involved. Yes. And not like some massive series that, you know, someone yeah. wrote too many words for or anything. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, having orange junk and Toge Demons back to back was not planned. <laughs> it just happened. And they're both really long, but it's okay. Yeah, I mean, they're both lovely. And everyone should read both of them, but like <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to measure out a good couple inches of uh, shelf space for yeah. each of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we hope this was informative and and a little bit entertaining. Yeah,
1: we'll um, we'll be back next week. Since we're recording this from Tokyo, we're going to be doing um, another podcast about Otome Road because
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went there yesterday and we have to go back.
1: Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time with a special Tokyo topic as well <laughs> for next podcast. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next
0: month. Bye. Bye.